The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Thanks for coming, everybody. It's nice to see a full group here in the building and those of you online. Sticking with uh, this training and I think uh, some of you hopefully read, just because there's so much wisdom and humor in that chapter from Ajahn Sumedho on Anapanasati that I included in one of the resources. Um, It's probably worth taking a look at, but I think it's in that article where he says something like, nobody has ever devised a more frustrating practice than mindfulness of breathing. (laughs) And it's simple, but it, you know, the mind... The conditioned mind, well, it's conditioned. That means that, you know, we we would say in superficial terms or kind of conventional terms, it has a mind of its own. But it's not like personal. It just has those habits, those conditioned habits have momentum. And, And they also have a kind of habits, have a kind of coherence and intelligence, even though... They're just natural processes, these different habits, like to plan or to worry or to wonder, am I doing it right? Or to be certain, I'm not doing it right. I don't get it. My mind is broken. (laughs) Whatever, you know, we might think. And, you know, I certainly know this from my own experience. And so I I think it just goes with the territory of training our mind. But the thing is, even if it just somehow were true that you have the most unworkable mind of any human being ever, let's just say, because somebody, I guess, has to have that mind. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that mind isn't trainable. It just means that you're starting off here, right? And that wise effort leads to progress, to the training of the heart, the training of the mind. And your alternative, if you're like really that person who has the most untrained mind, is just to live with your mind being untrained. But but we have no incentive to do that. Everyone, we all have an incentive to wisely train our mind. Because it's sort of like, it's not sort of like, it's exactly like our world, right? Like, who put these people in charge? Right? So that's exactly like, well, who put these conditioned habits in charge? It's exactly the same. It's like, well, what can we do? Well, I'm just gonna slink back and hope I can ride out, you know, my time on earth here in South Minneapolis until, you know, or we can, uh, lean in and say, well, no, let's, Let's see. And to really find joy in the training. That's the key. Right from the beginning, whatever spiritual practice you're doing, including what we might consider sort of more rudimentary, like living with kindness and this deep value of non-harming, we should do that work sensing the joy in that work. It's the only way it will work, (laughs) you know, Being good because we think we should be good doesn't really work. 
training ourselves to be good because it feels good to be good, that, that will work. Just like this more inner work that we're doing with these 16 steps. So let's just recall, as I've been doing these last weeks, and, and time for questions, including those of you online, you can just raise your digital hand. I'm assuming most of you know how to do that, but if you don't, you can just unmute yourself and I'll hear you. And uh, people here in the room, if you don't mind sitting on this bench here, I'll hand you the mic so people online. So just to think of these steps and the particular skill that we're learning. And remember, in your sits at home, you can really emphasize one of the skills that you can just jump right to it. So even though, you know, we work and train ourselves in the context of our class in this linear way through the 16 steps, that doesn't mean you should do that with every set. I mean, you might start with the opening, like using the breath more exclusively as your meditation object. But then you might very quickly feel some joy. Or you, for some of you who've been practicing for a while, you might be really ready just to sense the space of the mind, step number nine. And you can go right there. And then if you get distracted later, you might have to go back to some of the earlier steps. So everybody, though, we want to do this initial training just to see if you've neglected it. And this is true for those of you who've been practicing for decades, where you have this skill set, the mental skill, to bring your attention to something simple like breathing in the felt sense of breathing in and the felt sense of breathing out, and to be really close or intimate with that experience without controlling it. And to discover that the body really does mirror the mind. So as the mind experiences more and more seclusion from what it would normally be doing, because it's paying attention to the breath, it's not doing what it normally does, And that being secluded from what it normally does really settles the mind down. And then the the breath, rather, the body too, but the breath will reflect the mind settling down. The breath will become more refined. So that's why the Buddha has the, you know, noticing whether the breath is long or short. It's just sensing the physicality of the breath as a kind of feedback mechanism or barometer for how much continuity and how much seclusion is being developed? Or is the mind, unbeknownst to the mind, creeping out and following some well-worn habit of worrying about something, judging how I'm practicing, or any number of things that our mind will do? And the key, you know, when we catch our mind leaking in that way, is not to leak more by thinking about the fact that my mind is leaking. It's like really that graceful, easeful uh, way of realizing that the breath is right there. It's like even though we might, like the mind might have slipped into some planning, instead of thinking that you're far away, realize you're not far away from where the breath is. That's the key not to catastrophize distraction. It's not a catastrophe, it's what the mind does. (laughs) 
we should have a friendly relationship to distraction. Because that's, it's, that's really that, how we build the momentum. And then, you know, just generally speaking, when you have a real sense of seclusion, that the mind is somewhat secluded, then see if you can open up, including the whole body, the third step, without losing that sense of seclusion. So now you're aware of the diversity, the totality of the body. But now we're really training the mind. This is a different skill set. Yeah, so maybe I'll just see. Were there any questions about using the breath in a more exclusive way? Like the instructions around that or something happening in your practice that's confusing to you before I go on? Okay. So then that one of the skill sets we're learning when we breathing in, including the whole body, sensing the whole body, is uh, it's like a new way of being with the body because we generally, most of us, are going to be either superficial or we'll kind of be looking with that critical eye. You know, we tend to want to look where there's pain or where there's numbness or something we don't like in the body. Even places like it may not hurt, but I remember you hurting before. <laughs> How come you're not, you know, it's like, let me just poke around and make sure. Maybe there you are hurting and I just haven't picked it up yet. It's just like another version of catastrophizing. Yeah, Sam, do you mind coming up here so they can hear you? Hi, my name is Sam. I think what's coming up for me in practice and just... Uh, maybe a question for myself to kind of direct further investigation sort of maybe a little louder Sam so they can hear you in the room to further what it is that I am able to do when I'm not formally meditating but also to have that feedback into formal meditation is this awareness of the quality of the breath after I brought mindfulness to the fore it's sort of a a it can be kind of a very blunt object to engage with. You know, it's moving. It could be shaping the skin as the nose as the nose gets colder outside with colder weather. Maybe it's connected to a physical pain, but I, there's a very strong amount of effort that's needed to keep the breath in mind versus the breath that is part of the body, the breath that is contained within the whole after the entire body is brought into mind and then uh, some seclusion is established. It's the same breath, but somehow that the way the breath is interacting with the whole body becomes something that can be kept in mind. And what I've noticed is, as I've practiced with this map more and more, when I'm sort of in the middle of a conversation and the breath just comes into mind, I'm able to discern whether or not it's the breath of the whole body or the breath of, breath of fear or, or the quality of breath under maybe I've just climbed the stairs and the breath is there sort of in an overt way and this practice has really helped the breath become not just a an anchor into the the map but also a sort of a, a an indicator of where I'm at when mindfulness comes on board throughout the the day and, and 
And I think what's really curious to me as I kind of walk through or practice some of the skills in this map is noticing not just the breath and the awareness of the breath, but what what the relationship is to the awareness of the breath, and then use that to kind of direct awareness throughout the day. And I don't know if those words mean something to someone else, but they somehow are very exciting. There's like some excitement there that that's something to look at. Um, yeah, and so this map has been, yeah, this map has offered me some, some energy in the practice, so thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. So let's, let's just consider the steps three and four. So when we move to this inclusive awareness, then we're really developing an ability to look at the world, except now we're just, we've got the subset of the body, the bodily experience is sort of a subset of the world, but without a critical eye. So it really has, a, for me, the sense of metta, like, this inclusive, that's what love is. It's, it's, it includes. It doesn't, you know, throw, no, I'm not going to feel that. I'm not going to acknowledge that. No, yeah, it's like this. Everybody belongs. All the sensations, the way the body is, it all belongs. And there's a natural cause and effect to that. So when we cultivate that inclusive awareness as we're breathing in and as we're breathing out, then the mind and body. Remember, there really isn't any body without the mind. Right? The body is always known by the mind, in the mind, by the mind. So when the mind isn't in conflict, the mind that's knowing is knowing the body without conflict, without picking and choosing, without ignoring, without wagging the finger, the parental finger then there's a natural result or cause that way of being with the body in that inclusive, kind, unwavering way leads to that sense of well-being, embodied calm, embodied well-being. And we want to keep that in mind, and that's the fourth step. And this is good to linger here, like not to feel like we need to move on, but to really let that good feeling have its effect. And you'll notice interesting things like doubt, or I don't deserve it, or this isn't real, you know, and how to keep that in mind. And to really challenge any conditioning, because we have, you know, a lot of conditioning around like, whatever this body is, what do we call it? like a ball and chain, right? <laughs> it's like my burden, my very special ball and chain that I have to put up with. And it's really just a, a way generally we relate to the whole, the whole of our life, our relationships, all aspects. It's kind of the primal relationship. So it's worth, in the context of the training we're doing, really getting interested in steps three and four. And, uh, you know, the step, the earlier steps where we're really experiencing seclusion using a more exclusive meditation object, there are any number of ways to do that. I would encourage you to do, work with the breathing process. But there's other ways, 
you know, to really drop the diversity of experience and just be with something, knowing that this is being known, and feeling the seclusion of the mind, not feeling responsible to the diversity of our experience. I mean, people do that all the time. You know, people, I was talking to Corey Clementson, some of you know Corey, longtime leader here and a really important uh, um, our builder out at our retreat center. But he had this very serious uh, spinal surgery a couple months ago. And uh, he, he was just talking about talking uh, to the neur- neurosurgeons and just... Uh, just kind of the intensity of the person. It might have been just that person. But one of the things I guess the surgeon said to him, it's like, you know, I can be in surgery for hours and hours and hours. You know, and I'd imagine some surgeries, you do have to be there for hours and hours, and they're just doing this very delicate work with their little magnifying glasses on or whatever they use to be able to see what they need to see. And that kind of shutting off everything else for a period of time. Probably people can do that because there's a feedback loop, like the energy of seclusion supports people to be able to do that for as many hours as they need to do that, right? And uh, we want to tap in to that experience of what is the mind like when it's been liberated from its need to attend to the diversity of experience. So it, we don't, we're not, a, like in my case, I'm not a male at that time, and I'm not 65 years old, and I'm not in Minneapolis. It's like all these sort of weights that kind of tell me who I am and what I'm good. They don't exist because it's just the sensations of breathing in. That's all there is. The whole universe has been reduced to you know, however that's being felt in that moment, that stream of sensation that is being known, because the mind is exclusively, wholeheartedly, in that relaxed, receptive way, knowing that, it's precisely not doing anything else, right? Because it's just doing that. And then it experiences what it's like to have put all that down without the idea even that I put that other stuff down. doesn't need that idea. That would be one of the off-ramps, thinking, I've got a really secluded mind here. <laughs> and then that healing, you know, in the fourth step where we're keeping in mind that embodied well-being, that embodied calm, there's just a deeper trust because of that healing of that primal relationship of the mind knowing the body, in the mind, right? And uh, the more trust, the more that sense of being the doer doing relaxes a little. And what kind of comes through that relaxation is just activity. The activity of this, the activity of the body and the mind, the activity with less projection over and on the activity. And activity, the activity of nature, the nature of the body, the the nature of the mind, it's just movement, 
And now that movement is being experienced with less of a sense of friction or constriction. And that's called joy. Life is just happening. And life is always just happening. So in this sense, joy is always available. Somebody, maybe let's go back, I forget, said that joy is this minus your opinion about it. Anybody remember who said that? Was it Chocobank? Is that right? <laughs> Good. Yeah, because uh, the universe, reality, this mind and body, it's always just activity. And even the suffering, even the friction is an appearance, right? It's, it's from a particular point of view. So what we're doing is we're, we're working with the body and seclusion from what the mind normally worries about and thinks about and plans about. And we're discovering a real actual sense of well-being and the safety that comes with it. And the neurotic, unhelpful patterns of the mind begin to relax. And something comes through that relaxation. And then we're going to train ourselves to notice what that, what comes through that, or what's there already. That buoyant, alive, bright, has a quality of energy, like a shining quality, vibratory sometimes quality of the mind. Joy is a mental quality, but it, it can be felt bodily, but it's really we're talking about piti is a mental quality. Rapture. The mind has that joyful interest. It's rap. You know, it's just like, wow. Bright. And so you just want to start noticing that and keeping that in mind. And you see that that quality is, is really the opposite of all these sort of heavy mind states. Of, oh, I can't, I don't get this. I never get this. You know, and then we get trapped, we get seduced, like, I gotta deal with this heavy state of mind. No. Through that duration of breathing in, can I find a way to stay interested in joy? Well, I don't care, it doesn't matter what else is going on. I'm interested in joy. I'm interested in that buoyant, light, radiant, bright quality of the mind of the heart. And as we breathe out, same thing. And then, uh, I think I mentioned this last week, each time we're just learning to step back. So we're really taking the time in the fourth step to really immerse in that sense of well-being. And then in the fifth step, to really immerse in the sense of joy. And the transition is, is that basic Dharma move where we step back and we realize the joy is being known. And that is what allows for that kind of ability to notice something more refined, which is a a more quiet happiness, the happiness of contentment, the happiness of ease. Just like with that well-being, we kind of step back and take the bigger picture. Oh, it's all happening on its own. Oh, that's joy. And then with the, then we really take the time to stay interested in the joy, 
kind of like an as, as exclusive object of awareness, only joy, it's the only thing the mind is interested in. And then we step back and realize, yeah, the bigger picture, oh yeah, there's joy being known. Where is it being known? Oh, in this space that's really full of contentment and ease. Right? Because of the joy, because there's a has been a clear sense of how it's all happening on its own, then the heart feels more deeply, I can trust. I can trust, you know, Buddha being intimate with Dhamma, the way it is. And we keep that in mind, we keep that in mind. And then, even though we step back, we don't lose the joy, we don't lose the contentment, the ease. It's there in the background. And that's why, like, being aware of the mental activity, it's sort of like, you know how it is, like, if you're at a party um, or some scene at work or some public place where there's just a lot of activity, but you're just in a really chilled-out place for whatever reason, you know, and you can just sort of hang back and just watch the activity, watch people doing what they're doing. Maybe, you know, you've been at an airport sometime and you just have a lot of equanimity. You just feel good. You had a good trip or whatever. And you're just sort of taking in the scene without needing to have opinions about anything. It's just people walking by, stuff happening, people who seem to be hurting, people who seem to be happy, but the mind is just has this dispassion. Dispassion, it's important to understand that dispassion that we're talking about, the spiritual, um, it's really the fading away. That's actually where the word comes from. The fading away of attachment, the fading away of clinging, the fading away of being pushed about by what comes and goes. But it it's really requires intimacy. There's really, in a spiritual sense, no dispassion with distance. It's really when we're con- when we're connected, when we're feeling, and that what we're, we're working on with step number seven, right after the joy, after the ease. So now joy and ease are there in the background, right? So there's that good feeling in the back, and we can call on that as needed and then to have that more dispassionate awareness of all mental activity little impulses perceptions and just the sense of how that mental activity doesn't have to be a problem despicable thoughts beautiful thoughts ordinary thoughts this impulse, that intention, that perception, this feeling, that feeling. And it's such an important insight to realize I don't have to be responsible for mental activity and I certainly don't have to be the one that quiets it down or gets rid of it because hopefully we've learned that that doesn't work. <laughs> You know, wanting thoughts to stop thoughting doesn't work. 
But observing thoughts in this dispassionate way, having a lot of space, because there's this background of contentment and joy and ease, then we can really have realize we're, it's an insight, it's a different way of relating to mental activity. It's nice to do at the end of a sit, if you've had um, some quieting, some settling during the sit, then maybe the bell or whatever you use to time your sit goes off and you're there, maybe you've stretched out your leg or whatever, but you haven't gotten up. But now you're thinking about the day, especially if you practice in the morning and what you got to do next. And and But just to be aware, like not to try to suppress the planning mind, figuring out what am I going to wear or what am I going to do first or how am I going to handle this interaction. You just start letting the mind do what it's going to do, you know, planning the day. But you just have that sense of dispassion. Yeah, the day will be lived, the mind will do what it needs to do. But the heart doesn't have to feel each squeeze, you know, a squeeze, a constriction because of each worry or each planning or each thing. It's like, because it involves me, I have to feel something. And that's the interesting insight around dispassion. It's like... uh, the mind can still do, the thinking mind can still do what it needs to do, but the heart remains immune. And when th- thinking isn't needed, it can go quiet. And that's the step number eight, is really seeing that quietude and how it is the natural fruit, you know, really doing what we can to keep pleasant feeling tone in mind with joy and ease, piti and sukha, and then mental activity, we're breathing in, we're, we're experiencing mental activity as just that, breathing out, experiencing any mental activity just as just that, with a lot of dispassion, and then the quieting, that lawfulness of when I'm relating to mental activity in this spacious, dispassionate way, the mind quiets down. It's like, it's the law. We can count on it. And it's really good to demonstrate that to ourselves over and over again. Like I was saying, you know, now that we're kind of in the middle of the course, you can do a little bit of whatever you need to settle but really feel free to go to a particular place and the instructions and spend more time there. And use strategic thought where you're regurgitating some of the teachings, you're reminding yourself and doing the practice. And, you know, you'll catch when you're, you know, just lost in thought about the practice. That does, that's not what we're doing. And, and because of that, because you might be kind of going to one place, Remember, you can use those meditation words or phrases because your understanding of this seventh step, you know, dispassion with mental activity. So when you, you know, experiencing mental activity, you might use as a phrase or dispassion, 
you just might repeat the word dispassion. Letting things be. Letting mental activity be. Or whatever you might do, but that can, if you just use that word, that phrase, it kind of, if you understand what that word means, like if you understand from previous sets that experience, then you can then find yourself right back in that place where you can actually be aware of mental activity with some dispassion. So you don't have to like 10 minutes here, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes here, and work your way there. That's a wrong understanding that it's only a linear thing. But it's really good in learning it, you know, and that's why we do it, you know, as a part of the class. But, you know, as we get to the third and the fourth tetrad in the second half of the class, we can't spend that much time in the first eight steps. So we'll do a little settling, and then we're going to go breathing in, experiencing the mind, right? And so this could be a little bit of homework for next week. Um, you know, when whether you've got some quietude already or not, but it's almost like learning to look right through the noise in the mind and realize, like we can do right here, right? We can look through, we can uh, sense all the activity of we're seeing, because most of us have our eyes open, we're hearing, we're feeling our body, there's probably thoughts and feelings and perceptions going on, right? All of this activity, but even with this diversity of activity in our mind, attending to it in appropriate ways, hopefully, we can be cued to notice the space of the present moment. That all this activity that's being known right now by each of us is happening in the space of the present moment. And this space, can you can you sense it, intuit it? This space is the mind. This space, minus the activity that's being known, this is the mind. You want to know what the mind is? This is the mind, right here. Or this is the heart. This is the heart we've been looking for. It's right here. Can we keep it in mind? Yeah, we can. It just takes some training because it's subtle. And the mind is more deeply conditioned, right, to look to attend to activities of the body and the mind but not the space of the mind. So breathing in, experiencing the mind. Breathing out, we train ourselves to experience the mind, the space of the mind, the space of the knowing mind. This, this minus the activity. You know, and you'll see all kinds of funny little scramblings probably in your mind like don't think <laughs> you know, don't ruin it but the thing is you can't ruin the space of the mind or the space of the present moment sometimes I'll say that too I'll use that phrase space of the present moment instead of space of the mind or space of the heart just like we can keep in mind the space of the room you know initially we'll like get dependent on like the walls okay it's, the wall is containing the space of this room. But after a while, we can have the sense of the space, right? 
the space of this place here, it doesn't, you know, common ground, this space here, doesn't depend on the walls. Doesn't depend on the earth. You see? This is what we're doing. This is like you remove everything. Because everything is activity. All the things are activities. They're not actually things. They're just activities, perceptions, sense experiences that come and go. But we can intuit that it's happening here and now in the space of the mind, the space of the present moment. And then, as you can see with all of the tetrads, the first three steps kind of set up the fourth step in the tetrad, right? So when we're working with seclusion and awareness of the body, and it sets up this embodied well-being. And then we're really working with the mind, the activity of the mind, especially feeling tone, wholesome, pleasant feeling tone for the second tetrad, and it sets up quietude of the mind, the experience of quieting the mind. And then with the third tetrad that we're going to, that you can begin to play with in your practice, we're experiencing the mind, we're appreciating that, gladdening that, learning how to to radically, like, it's almost like we're um, teasing out the more subtle activities of different, very subtle ways of claiming things, like claiming even the space of the mind, which is always just another activity. So we're teasing out the more subtle activities of taking a stance, what you might call selfing, the more subtle habits of selfing. And then that sets up the fourth of the, that third tetrad is releasing the mind or liberating the mind. We're liberating the mind of everything that's extra. So the space of the mind is being realized without anything extra, like selfing or self-centeredness. This without self-centeredness. So we're realizing the mind free of grasping. Right? So it's a, a liberated mind because that mind isn't distorted by grasping or selfing. And that's a, like each one of these three insights, that's a really important insight. And then the last, you know, we'll get to, but it's it's really... Uh, maturing that insight of letting go, of realizing the mind, heart, free of grasping. And then just in general, uh, during the day, I really play with dispassion. You know, a lot of us have uh, a kind of uh, suspicion and mistrust of dispassion and renunciation. I mean, we might think, oh, it kind of sounds good. You know, I, I get why renunciation, dispassion is part of spiritual life. It's the bitter medicine of spiritual life. But the path has a real integrity to it. Every single part feels trustworthy, has a taste that is is uh, freeing. The taste is freedom all the way along. That's how we know it's the path. That's how we follow the path. So we have to really challenge, we have to do our own personal 
investigation. How is it that dispassion, renunciation is trustworthy, has the flavor of liberation, has the flavor of freedom? How dispassion isn't this icy couch, nothing matters, I guess I shouldn't be attached to anything, so I'm going to be this Buddhist now that nothing matters. It's all flat, endless gray. But at least I'm not one of the stupid ones who's attached. <laughs> you know. At least I at least I get that. I'm special. Because <laughs> I'm not attached. I have dispassion. I've renounced the world. You know, and we hear some of the deeper teachings about um, not dependent, not attached to existence. You know, and that sounds like that's the ultimate trump card. Like, I don't know about you guys, you're all attached to existence, but, you know, I'm not attached to existence. I'm not afraid of death. We, unbeknownst to ourselves, we're afraid of living, you know, and <laughs> of having experience and having relationships. So, we want to really see what dispassion is, and this is a really good place to get our own deeper personal sense of what renunciation, what dispassion, what letting go is all about around this particular place, the seventh step, where, where, remember, it starts from a wholesome good feeling, joy and ease. Ease sukha is a really nice, quality of the heart. The heart feels content. As I think I mentioned last week, it has a visceral expression where like, I don't have to do or go anywhere because I feel good right here and now. I can go somewhere. I can go do something, but I don't have to. There's good food in the fridge. I could go eat it. It would be pleasant, but I'm content. And that's a really interesting feeling. And with that in the background then we realize like this whole mechanism of mental activity, it's really has evolved for the, for the beast that's seeking safety and happiness, right? It's the mechanism for the me to find pleasure. But when we have a good feeling, all of a sudden I could just observe all of that mechanism of self trying to get what the self wants as just bird chatter, you know, birds making the bird sounds or wind blowing through the leaves or a bunch of people. I remember I used to live in Berkeley, California and we'd go out uh, on the nice days to the Berkeley Marina because I live pretty close to it, which is a really long pier and there's a park around it and it's a real hangout because you you look across the San Francisco Bay at the Golden Gate Bridge. It's really a nice view. You can see the fog blow in sometimes and see the lights of San Francisco and the hills of Marin County. It's really sweet. And I do this. You know, I was meditating back then a lot in the 80s and just to hang out and see the scene. And it was, you know, it's always a scene there. And just, uh, you know, just to like let the activity and then, of course, the beauty and the fact that I didn't have to work, I wouldn't be out there if I had a lot of work to do, right? So, you know, I'm just leisure 
and it's beautiful, and you're by the bay, big bay, body of water, you know, there are a lot of elements that help the body and the mind to relax, supportive of samadhi, and just hanging out and letting everything, let the activity be the activity. Instead of like looking for a potential mate, or who's got cool clothes, or who's looking stupid, and you know, what are you doing living in Berkeley? or whatever sort of judgmental thoughts we might have about the people around us. And it's like, it's that dispassion, like instead of being cold and icy, it's really related to metta, like a boundless good goodness of the heart. Not throwing anybody out. No need to throw anybody out. No need to discriminate or put people into camps or compartments. All, all of it is seen, felt as part of life, just coming and going of life. So I would really play with uh, reframing or reworking um, your attitude around letting go, dispassion, because really all we're letting go of is ignorance or wrong understanding and different deep patterns that keep the heart separate, keep the heart apart. That's all we're really letting go of. All of those patterns that keep the heart distant, seemingly distant. Let's see if I have a, something to read as a closing. There's a, yeah, I recommend, I think I mentioned this last week, but the chapters in uh, Venerable Analio's book that you all have the link for on the... Uh, on the second tetrad, it can be worth reading. Um, he does a good job. So this is from a famous quote from Ajahn Chah. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings. Like a clear forest pool, all kinds of wonderful rare animals will come to drink at the pool and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. Right? So this dispassion is the beginning of that stillness, not kind of a concentrated stillness, but the stillness of, of wisdom, equanimity, that uh, doesn't feel pushed around by the activity of the body, the activity of the, the mind, the activity of what's being known. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.